Good morning and greetings in the Master's name. What a privilege to be here this morning. We were privileged to be with the youth for the sunrise service, and what a glorious morning we had. Such a privilege to remember, I guess, a little bit what it was like for those, to try to remember what it was like for Mary Magdalene and the other Marys. They went to the the tomb and realized that Jesus wasn't there, and all the emotions that went with that, and then to meet him in life, in reality. I, yeah, it's amazing, the story that what we celebrate today, well, that's not really the message. I was asked by somebody this morning as I was getting ready to come up here to give a little report on our trip to Guatemala, I hadn't even thought about that, and my mind was on the message, but so I don't really have any notes, but I would like to share a little bit. Um, of course, we were asked to go with the, with the graduates to Guatemala last month, end of last month, and we left the 21st and came back the 29th, um, well, almost the 30th, <laughs> really it was the 30th until we got back, we were delayed, the flight back was delayed a little bit, but we had an amazing time. Thank you for your prayers. A lot of you were praying for us. One of our prayers was that we wouldn't, nobody would get really sick and that the trip wouldn't be um, bad for anybody because of illness holding anybody back. And, you know, God held that off till we got home because <laughs> the day after we got home, there was a lot of people in bed with fevers and not feeling good. And I think that was just an answer to prayer. Um, but we went down not knowing, I mean, I've never been to Guatemala before, don't know Spanish very well at all, know it better now than I did then. I learned to read uh, road signs in Spanish. I learned what una via means, one way. Um, we had, I ended up doing a lot of the driving while we were down there and really enjoyed it. Uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's an experience you ought to have. Um, wasn't as dangerous as I thought it might be. You don't, you don't have, yeah, I'm sure there's road rage down there, but a honking horn was just an excuse me. You know, it wasn't a, a curse word down there. Um, we, you learn to just work with other people and merge and, you know, it was okay. You could go the wrong way on a, on a street, and as long as you didn't hit anybody, everybody realized you were a gringo, and you're, it's okay, you know, and worked around you. And you didn't stick your hand out the window. If you did, you're going to punch a, a motorcyclist right in the face. Um, and that's, I generally like, you know, I've got the window open, I'm, you know, point at something, no, you can't do that, because in, especially in the city, there was people everywhere. It was a great experience. And God kept us safe. A couple times I didn't, yeah, when you follow that little blue line on the GPS, through a Guatemala town that was built for ox carts. Let me tell you, it gets really tight. And one time in particular, it was night, and we were following this blue line through the town, and we get to the end of the road, and our road is going sort of this way. The other road is going sort of this way. And I'm not kidding. It was so steep, I realized there was no way that van was going to turn right and go up the road, which is the way the blue line went. It wouldn't do it. We were going to either roll or spin out, and it was bad, steep. And we were sitting there, and there's motorcycles behind us. 
which I didn't realize till I started to back up. And so, anyway, we finally realized the GPS was wrong. We could turn down the hill. And even that, it was steep enough. I was nervous. So that was some of our escapades in the van. Um, we went, the first place we went was down to Pasaka, which I don't know how many of you know much about Guatemala, but it's down close to the coast. It's hot, very hot. Joshua Martin, um, Joshua Martin's lived down there, went down there to help them with a building project. It'd be Levi Martin's son. Really enjoyed our time there. Um, the youth, I was just so blessed. It went from whatever it is here to 100 degrees there. It was, it was 95 degrees at, in the morning when we got out, well, shortly after we got out there. And we used picks and shovels and moved dirt by hand, and it was end of the dry season, so it was really hard. And they just flat worked till there was blisters, two rows of blisters on their hands, and they kept on going. I don't know how they did it. I couldn't take it. I, I'm sorry, I'm an old man, I guess, and I, I couldn't work like they did, but they did. Um, they really put themselves into it, and I appreciated it. Uh, from there, we went back for the weekend. We went, half of us went back to uh, headquarters for one night. The other group went to Auditorio, where they're building the school. And that group, which was Norvin's group, um, cleaned church house, did a whole bunch of work, took trim trees, a bunch of work there at Auditorio. We went to base in Guatemala City and then on out to San Bartolome, which if any of you have read the book Under His Wings, um, Jose, the minister in that book, is the minister at San Bartolome, along with Galen Miller, who just married Wendy, Levi Martin's daughter. Um, so we got to meet Jose and his family, got to celebrate his 70th birthday while we were there. Tremendous time. And... My wife and I and the girls that were with us stayed at San Bartolome, and then the guys that were with us went on out to, I forget the name of the other place, but Justin Zimmerman's are out there. It's about an hour away. But those places, that wasn't that many years ago, there wasn't even really a road to get there. They used the, there's an airstrip there at San Bartolome, and they would just fly in. If you wanted to get there, you flew in, basically. Uh, it's really remote. It's not remote anymore. The, there's a highway being built in there. Um, so it's not as hard to get around now as it was just a few years ago. Had a really good time. We, the girls in our group really connected with the, the native girls, Jose's daughters. Um, had a great time together. They, they got to try on their, call them, courts, Cortez, something like that. It's a native skirt that you wrap around and tie. And they look like the natives when we had a, a morning service. And then in the afternoon, we had a, a worship service at 3 o'clock, which was the devotional and singing. And they all the, our girls and their girls all wore the same native dress to church. Um, just a really, really good time there. And then in the evening, the, their youth came up to where Levon and I were staying, played volleyball with our youth, and we made soft pretzels and just had a wonderful time together. Of course, the language barrier is always there, but between Google Translate and Signs and Wonders, it's amazing how much you can communicate. And when you're of a kindred spirit, it's amazing how much just the look on your face and a few hand motions, you can convey a lot. Um, so, yeah, we had a really good time. I'd love to go back. I really, we really enjoyed our time there. If you ever get a chance to go to Guatemala, 
or any of the South, South American countries, it's an experience you won't, hopefully won't regret. Um, Lord watched over us. We made it back a little bit late. <laughs> Later, we were in, when we got to Miami, um, there was some pretty severe thunderstorms down there. Basically shut the airport down, even though we didn't know it. The airport was as busy inside as ever, but no, no planes were flying for about an hour. Well, when we flew out, one of the guys looking out the window of the plane counted 82 planes waiting to leave. So they were, they were just stacked in there waiting because of the weather. But we got out about an hour late getting back. We actually got home at, drove into our driveway at 5.30 Thursday morning. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good, long, but good trip. But God held the sickness off till we were all at home. Well, for the most part, there was we, there was some a little bit, but not colds and things down there, but not enough to stop us. We were all able to keep going and have a good time. Um, hopefully, we were as much of a blessing there as we were blessed because we were very blessed by what we found there, the people, the mission, what the work that is going on, um, the missionaries, how they have simply immersed themselves in in the culture and just. Um, no, they don't. They don't become a native, but they just like Galen's. We're there at San Bartolome where we say Galen just lives like one of them. He's got an acre of land up on top of the mountain that you got to take the moto down through a ravine and back up to the side. You know, to go farm his little acre of land and grow crops. Um, I mean, that's it's just a it's a different way of life, and he's he does it. And seems to have an amazing rapport with the people that he uh, relates with there. Um, he's very encouraged. There's 14, I believe, 14 different missions that MAM has there. Some of them have no um, American presence, strictly um, Guatemalan people with the churches. Um, God's work is going forward. His people are faithful, and it's good to see that work. I don't know if there's more that more questions you have afterwards. I'd be happy to try to answer them for you. Um, but we did have a good time. Thank you for your prayers. Back to the message for the morning for this morning. The message title is the death of death. And if I could somehow help us to understand this morning. What built up spiritually, in the spiritual realm, physical realm, prophetically, to Jesus' death and resurrection? And what changed at the resurrection? If we could really grasp that this morning, I don't know that I really fully grasp it. But that's the goal as we look at Scripture this morning. Let's turn to Genesis 3, verse 15. This is the very first prophecy in Scripture of what Christ would suffer at the crucifixion. It's just one verse. This is we know what happened here. The Adam and Eve had sinned, and God speaking to them and to the serpent here, and He curses. He gives a curse to the serpent in verse fifteen, and He says, "I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." There's a lot in this verse if you dig into it. 
for one thing, if we would do a lot of digging here, the virgin birth is the only way this prophecy could be fulfilled. And God tells Satan, he says, the woman's seed, or Jesus, shall bruise thy head, or you might say crush thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That bruising his heel was what was happening when Pilate turned Jesus over to those soldiers. Those men didn't know it, but they were the hands and feet of Satan. Satan had a little opportunity in which he could do his level best to fulfill his hatred for Jesus. And when they flogged Jesus, I believe the demons were dancing for joy. And don't you know Jesus knew it? Jesus knew the spiritual, what he was taking spiritually when that happened. He had a little window of time, Satan did, in which he could bruise Jesus' heel, do a little bit of damage to Jesus. And I had to think, when, that, when Pilate paraded Jesus out in front of those soldiers, they, put a, they had flogged him, they put that robe on him, and then they put the staff in his hand, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and then they yanked the staff out of his hand and beat him across the crown of thorns. I don't know how humans get that despicable. I know it happens. But it's only through satanic forces the people get that evil. And I believe it was Satan working in those soldiers, through those soldiers, taking his chance at Jesus. But the battle, did the battle between good and evil start there? I say no. Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 18, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus watched Satan be kicked out of heaven. So Jesus was there when Satan was cast out of heaven, but why was he cast out? And I'm building the case for this, this battle between good and evil here. Let's turn to Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 19. Ezekiel 28, and I've got several scriptures here this morning. If you don't want to turn to him, that's fine. But Ezekiel twenty-eight, verses twelve to nineteen, and this is written to the king of Tyrus. But as we read it, it's very clearly a prophecy or written about Satan. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden. I'm going to stop there. Satan was in Eden, in the garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, 
and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. And there's a lot in those verses I don't understand. I don't know what the stones of fire are. And I don't understand all the things that he described there. But we get a picture of a heavenly being, perfect in beauty, but sin was found in his heart, and God cast him out of heaven. Satan's pride was his downfall, and his doom is already sealed. Let's turn to Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 17. Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 17. And this is another, um, another account of the same thing happening. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that... See thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? So before the world was created, Satan's pride had already caused God to curse him. When God created Adam, Satan saw a chance to get back at God. And that's what he did. He tempted Eve and Adam, and Eve sinned against God. Adam sinned against God. They're both equally accountable there, I believe. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam sinned, and with sin comes death, both spiritual and physical death. And because all humanity is descendants of Adam, every human except for one carried that Adamic curse. The same sinful nature that Adam brought on himself by disobeying God. Sin and death became a part of the human experience. You might even say it's in our DNA. It's part of us. And we can see the effects of sin in the world around us. Many people's lives are cut short because of sins they've committed, whether it's disease or accidents or whatever. But far greater than that is the reality of spiritual death because of sin. And ever since Adam's sin, humanity has had to choose either seek God and find life or do nothing and fall into sin. And let that sin nature take him away from God into the spiritual death. So this battle between life and death and good and evil, God and Satan, has been at the center of our universe 
from before man was created. And God's desire for man has always been that man would seek a relationship with him. He created man so he could have that relationship with him. God's always looked for those that will seek after him. And Satan, on the other hand, has always tried to destroy that relationship. He hates God's superiority and will do anything he can to get between you and God. He doesn't care how awful he makes someone's life as long as he is destroying or hindering God's work. And there's always been people that have sought God out. All through the Old Testament, there has been a remnant. There were people who walked with God, even though they, but even though they walked with God, King David has wrote so many of the Psalms, and in that you find a beautiful relationship with God. But even in that, in the Old Testament, their sins still hung over them. Though they walked with God, the guilt of their sins was never completely erased. That relationship that God desired was not able to happen. I get a mental picture of how it is with our children sometimes. If a child does something wrong and then feels bad about it and tells the parent he's sorry, maybe that particular issue is resolved. But the parent still remembers what happened. If that child does some, the same thing or something similar again, the punishment reflects, sometimes might reflect a little bit because he's done it multiple times. So this, in that same way, in the Old Testament, the sins were never completely gone, if you might want to say. They weren't erased Sins were never completely dealt with. They were just covered by the blood of an animal. And there were many sins in the Old Testament for which there was no sacrifice. And I'm pretty confident if we would list those sins here this morning, I know I would be in that list for which there was no forgiveness, and I'm sure as many others also. We committed sins that in the Old Testament there was only one answer for, and that was death. The blood of an animal could only cover a certain amount of failure. Very few people in the Old Testament knew what it was like to be truly forgiven. I think David experienced it in his walk with the Lord. But there was that constant longing for peace and cleansing that was not really available. That longing for a perfect, clear, and open relationship with God could not be fulfilled. And as you think about that and think about the history of the, old, of the people of Israel, it helps us understand why over and over they turned to idols. They wanted something more. Satan took advantage of that longing for something they could not have and tempted them with idolatry. Many times they failed. And eventually, God would bring judgment. And it would cost, often cost many lives. And death in the grave would win again. And God didn't like it. The people didn't like it. It was, a, it was, it was this constant struggle for righteousness. But there was hope. Even in the darkest times, God did not leave his people without something to look forward to or live for.
He sent prophet after prophet to tell them of the coming of the Messiah that would bring them true freedom from this, when you say cloud, hanging over them. Let's, let's turn to Isaiah 61. I'll read verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to point unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. As we look at that list of verses, there's three verses there, there's a bunch of words that pop out to me of things that were going on that Jesus was going to come to heal, to take care of. We see brokenhearted, we see captives, we see prisoners, mourners, the spirit of heaviness, all this, before Christ came, all this was normal. Even for the Israelites, they were longing for something they didn't have. This is the way of life for most people. And even today, people that don't know the Lord, this is the way of life. This is normal. We as Christians sometimes forget what we've been saved from. Forget how free we really are. That we aren't dealing with all these things. We know what sorrow is. But sorrow without hope, we don't know what that is much. Very, I mean, we, we have hope. You know, we know what captives are, but how many of us are captive to something that we have no way of escaping? None of us. If we truly desire freedom, it's there in Christ. This prophecy that God gave through Isaiah is proclaiming freedom through the Messiah that was to come. For thousands of years, the children of Israel lived under the old law, sacrificing animals yearly, if not oftener, to cover their sins. For the rest of the world, which would be us, we're not Israelites, there was very little hope of knowing God. They were just, I, I think God gave them a chance somehow, some way. But there was very little hope of really knowing God. But God longed to change all that. He longed for that close relationship he had had with Adam and Eve before they sinned. But for that to happen, there had to be something, some way of getting rid of sin. There had to be a perfect sacrifice so that we could truly be cleansed from our sins. A sin, the sin issue could be completely dealt with. Even though God, God's people couldn't grasp it, they didn't understand who the Messiah would truly be They still look forward to that perfect sacrifice someday. And they look forward all through those ages after the law was given. The prophets told of this coming Messiah. And I like to read ten different portions of scripture which are prophecies that tell us what Jesus was going to go through to bring us his freedom. And now remember, these are only a portion of the prophecies that are in the Bible about Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. But I'm going to read them through them fairly rapidly, so you're welcome to just listen as I read. Psalm 41, 9. 
Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. I don't want to say, I, want, I put these prophecies in chronological order in which, the, which they happened during the crucifixion. We're celebrating Easter right now. And these prophecies came true 2,000 some years ago during the crucifixion. Zechariah eleven twelve, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if, it, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Psalms 22, 16 to 18, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Psalm 34, 20, He keepeth all my bones, not one of them is broken. Zechariah 12, 10, And I will pour out, and I will pour upon the house of David, upon the, house, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And I had to think of the Mary and Martha, Jesus' family and the disciples as they stood around the cross and watched Jesus die in the, in the absolute sorrow mourning that they were going through. I think this is prophesying about them. That verse prophesied about them. Isaiah 53, 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. So clearly fulfilled in Jesus' crucifixion. Remember, these prophecies, prophecies are only a portion of what has been written. There's a lot more as we, if we would study it that we could find. As we think back over what has already been described this morning, Satan's jealousy of God and his desire to deceive people, the limited relationship between the Israelites and God because there was no way to remove the curse of sin, the almost impossibility for anyone that was not an Israelite to know God, the constant remembrance of past sins, the guilt for them and the bondage that went with that, then think about all the prophecies about what the Messiah would go through. All these prophecies that we, we read were given before Jesus went through them. All this is building up to Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. As we think of all these things, it helps us understand why Jesus was under the stress he was there in the garden. All of this plan for our redemption was laid on his shoulders. And remember, he was a man like you and I. He was carrying the weight of our sins. The price that I should have paid under the old law. The death that I should have taken, he took for me. 
Death was the only answer for many sins. They were too bad for the blood of animals to cover. There was no other way to deal with them. And besides, the sin were not Israelites. We would have had almost no way to find God had Jesus not followed the Father's plan. Jesus knew what he was going to go through. Brother Mark's message last Sunday night did a tremendous job of describing to us the physical and emotional pain that Jesus faced for you and I. Tremendously powerful message. But I hope we can understand better this morning how much really depended on Jesus' obedience, on his surrender to the Father. There was a spiritual battle going on that had been building since creation. This battle between good and evil, life and death. And up until his resurrection, death had the upper hand. Death was feared above anything else. The fear of death, the fear of not being perfect before an almighty God, the fear of the unknown and judgment hung like a heavy blanket over the whole world. For that weight of fear to be lifted, the sin problem had to be dealt with by the death of a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus was that perfect sacrifice for us. But it took more than his suffering and death to redeem us and give us new life. If he had only suffered and died, death would have won again. And we would still be slaves to that same fear they faced for over 4,000 years. And I believe that, if, that Satan thought that if he could kill Jesus, he would win. Hosea 13, 14, first part. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. It was prophesied before Jesus was resurrected. Today's Easter Sunday. Today we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but do we understand what we're really remembering? Death has lost. The grave is no longer a terror to the children of God. Our Lord has conquered the power of sin, evil, death, and the grave. Had Jesus not risen from the grave, we would be living in fear of death. For all of history up until this point, death was the most feared things people dealt with. Jesus, our Messiah, didn't just provide us a way to be rid of our sins. He didn't just become the perfect sacrifice. He conquered death in the grave. By his resurrection, he redeemed us to new life. Gone is the fear of death. He conquered it. Gone is the guilt of past sins. His blood cleanses it. Gone is the fear of future failure. His resurrection, he, he is resurrected from the grave and returned to the Father to intercede for us. Gone is the barrier that separates, separates us Gentiles from his chosen people. He tore the veil in two and opened up the holiest of holies for all of us to come into the presence of the Father. Psalm 68, 18, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men. And I want, to catch, I want you to catch this next phrase. Yea, for the rebellious also. That was you and I. 
He ascended on high and received gifts to give to us. That the Lord God Almighty might dwell among them. Why did he do it? So that that relationship with God and between God and people could be restored. His resurrection allows God to dwell among us. Do we understand the spiritual load Jesus carried as he went to the cross? Our sins, the power of death and the grave, Satan's delight as, at his suffering and death. And I'm sure there was more than we, that we in our humanity can't understand. But his resurrection conquered it all. Oh, that we could fully grasp what the empty tomb means for us Christians. The power of death is gone. For the believer, death has become a door. A door that lets us out of the sin-cursed world and into the presence of the Father. Praise God for the resurrection. For it truly was the death of death. Let's have a song.